0: It's the other side of midnight with Frank Murano.
1: Dr. Jacob L. Wright is a man that knows the Bible, he is a professor of Hebrew. Bible and Old Testament Studies at Emory University, which boasts one of the world's leading doctoral programs in biblical studies. And he's the author of a new book, which has just gotten rave reviews. It has made list after list of some of the best books of 2023. The book's called Why the Bible Began, an alternative history of Scripture and its origins, and I'm just thrilled to have Dr. Wright on the radio. Dr. Wright, thanks so much for joining me.
0: How you doing? Thank you. It's uh, good to be here, buddy.
1: So, uh, Dr. Wright, when we talk about the Bible, one of the things that we've seen over the last couple of thousand years is uh, experts, researchers, they tend to come to a conclusion that reinforces whatever their theological uh-huh. view is. So just so yeah. the, the audience kind of knows where you're coming from before we get into your conclusions – can you tell us a little bit about your own faith, just so the audience knows your perspective going into your research on this?
0: Yeah, that's helpful. I think that's always important to do. I am Jewish. I am. Uh, I teach at a Christian seminary in the South. It's Emory University, and it trains pastors. I'm the pastors, future pastors. I'm the only non-Christian faculty member in that school. Of course, Emory is a big university, and I have other roles in the university, but I'm Jewish and, um, but I'm also a historian and trained in Germany and, um, have spent a lot of time all over the world and really open toward all kinds of new perspectives. It's not that I am in any way, um, too theological, I guess. (laughs) I'm, I'm, I'm pretty moderate, um, not that not that uh, fanatical about anything. I don't think many of my colleagues are either. I think we are trying to understand the evidence, I would say. But I am up against a position that um, that goes to the heart of why we have the Bible.
1: Interesting. So um, that is basically the thesis of your book, why we have the Bible, why it began. Before we get to your answer on that, Tell me why that's the right question to ask. Why should we be looking into why the Bible got started? Why is that an important starting point?
0: Yeah, good. That's a good question. Um, so if I think how we approach the Bible currently is not about the why, although a lot of people are interested in the who, you know, who wrote the Bible. That's one of the biggest books written. And when it all happened and where, that's kind of easy but a bit easier um the what is really what we focus on in our societies what does the bible teach on xyz and um and then people argue about what the bible teaches or people argue whether the what the bible teaches is good or bad and there's a culture war over the the 10 commandments and so many different kinds of things related to the bible what i'm trying to do is shift our attention from the what to the why and from the who to the why and What I mean by that is for us to step back and to consider why is this text even in our possession now? Why did it take centuries, millennia to, for archaeologists in the modern period, in the modern times, you know, just 200 years ago, to go and dig up all the archives of the empires that conquered the world of the civilizational centers that invented writing in Mesopotamia and Egypt we knew nothing about these cultures very little bit look very little more than what we could find maybe in the greek sources and the biblical sources we knew nothing about these massive empires until we recovered their archives in modern archaeological research and then we worked hard to deci- to decipher to to decode the languages. They're very, very difficult languages. So why is it that we had to wait all that time to recover the finds that are similar to massive libraries like the library of New York or of Tokyo and so forth? Meanwhile, this podunky little town of Jerusalem, it was really off the beaten path, produced a corpus of text that was transmitted for generations to generation. It has all kinds of impact everywhere it's gone, producing not only Judaism, but Christianity and, and indirectly Islam. Um, and all of this um, is something that really raises the question for me for what, about why and why that for me matters is because if we focus on the, what of the Bible teaching, we miss the, the really extraordinary fact that the Bible exists in the first place. And it's, it's improbable. And maybe the story of how it came to be and why we have it has something more to teach us than just the kinds of teachings, its teachings of its laws, its thou shalt nots and thou shalts.
1: When uh, I know... No, 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 (laughs) that makes sense. And I'm all the more interested in why it began in the first place. But one of the questions you alluded to was was when and another que- question was who the first book in the Old Testament is is Genesis I, I think it would be helpful in understanding the why to understand at least a bit of the who do we know who wrote the book of Genesis
0: <coughs> yeah some people claim that we do right so going all the way back to in tradition both Jewish and Christian tradition says Moses wrote the book of Genesis. And then in the 18th century, they started noticing that there are passages that use different names for God, and that these different names for God line up with different stories. So already in Genesis 1 has the story of creation, the seven days of creation, and it ends by the first chapter. And then the second chapter, if you look at it, a new story of creation begins in which the world is not, not yet formed at all. And so you have these parallel stories, and they have different names for God and different vocabulary and different perspectives all together. So one started seeing that, hmm, it's, it can't be just one person. There has to be multiple sources, and then when and who is really behind this. And that's where we all differ. Some of my colleagues, I guess the kind of the majority opinion is that it's There are these multiple sources and then compiled at a late point in time by this compiler, but that the sources themselves, we don't know who wrote them. Um, they come from different time periods and they're brought together to form the book of Genesis at a late point by an, also a a known figure that they postulate, who is a compiler of these texts, who, who kind of edited them and put them together as a book. My, um, approach is this. There's an older story, not just story, but various stories, competing stories, stories of various ancestors. Um, to what extent they were actually written down um, is difficult to say, but there are you can see that there are some different texts um, from different communities. So that when we think about... Israel, there's Abraham and Sarah, and they have a son named Isaac who has a wife named Rebecca. And then Isaac and Rebecca have these two twin sons named Jacob and Esau. My name's Jacob and Esau. And then Jacob is, his name is changed to Israel, and he's the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. Well, we look at the names of those 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 that become like the 50 states of the Union. We look at them. They're actually just regions. The name like Ruvain or Reuben. It's one of the names, the oldest. It's just a name of an an older name for a region. It might have been the name of some figure, but here's the point: the biblical authors are connecting different stories around these twelve sons, as as well as stories of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and they're connecting them and forming a new story, a larger national narrative, and that is done by scribes who we know nothing about. But what I'm trying to suggest is why. Why do we? Why did they do that? And I'll get to that. I'll let you wait. I'll let you tell me when you want me to disclose my. I (laughs) I, I was just
1: going to ask the questions. Yeah, again, if people are just tuning in, uh, we're talking with Dr. Jacob Wright. He is the author of the new book, "Why the Bible Began: An Alternative History of Scripture and Its Origins." Obviously, we want people to uh, read the book, Dr. Wright. But uh, give us the thumbnail sketch. Why did the Bible begin? (laughs)
0: Well, it's it's a 500 page book, so it's not giving away (laughs) too much by telling you. Um, My my answer to the question why is um, two things: division and defeat. That sounds really improbable. Like when people say, "Why we have a Bible?" Well, God wants us to um, know what God's will is. Okay, Uh, why do we have? Like I say in the preface, why do why does the leopard have spots? Well, God wanted it that way. Well, we're not going to be that happy with just God wanted it that way. So why are, we that, uh, why are we happy with that kind of pat theological reason when we come to something like the Bible? Um, why not kind of look at the more um, immediate reasons why we have the Bible? Just like wh- how did the leopard come to have spots if God wanted it that way? So my larger que- my larger question and answer to the why is division and defeat. What do I mean by that? There, first of all, there are two kingdoms at the heart of the biblical story. It's the Northern Kingdom and the Southern Kingdom, North and South, like we have in the United States. And they were at odds with each other. And the Northern Kingdom is called Israel, and the Southern Kingdom is called Judah. The Northern Kingdom was a very powerful kingdom. Both of them were, however, um, conquered. So the fact that they had warred with each other, that they were in civil wars and, and um intention, but had some kind of special relationship to each other, that division between North and South, and then their defeat. And that the populations of these two kingdoms had to come to terms with the fact that they were no longer kingdoms. And they embraced that defeat, not all of them, just some in their midst, but gradually what was created was the Bible making their defeat, their conquest, the point of departure for a whole new project. And that is, the first nation. It, they came up with the idea of what it means to be a people. And the thing that I call peoplehood or nationhood, but we we the people kind of thing, is at the heart of the biblical project. It is the, the answers to the question of what is a people in the first place? We know what kingdoms are. We know what our cities are. We know what our tribes are. We know what the empire is who can conquer us. But you're saying that after our kingdoms are gone, we can still be a people. We can still be an exiled, but united people. Well, what's a people? And then how do we, you know, come together in this, in this larger political community, even when we are separated in time and space? So that's my, my answer. The division, division between these two communities created this larger problem of, well, what unites us across our borders? What do we have in common? So, if you look at North and South Korea, I teach a lot of Korean students. Mm-hmm. The, the, the question is like, how how does one think about a Korean people when we're when they're divided by two very different governments? Or how does how did Eastern and Western Germans during the the time of the Soviet Union? How did they when the, the wall fell? How did they reunite in terms of what? do East Germans have in common with West Germans besides just language? What is their culture? Their culture had developed in very different ways. And those kinds of projects, um, or those kinds of political problems, uh, really prompted people in their midst to think deeply about what is, what does it mean to be Korean? What does it mean to be German? What does it mean to be an American if we are so divided? And um, so that division. But on top of that, it's really their loss of power, too, their defeat. And coming to terms with that defeat and admitting it instead of denying it, that was very central to their, their project, that, um, that something new had begun. We can't keep on trying to rebuild the kingdom. We have to refocus our attention elsewhere. We have to become a nation.
1: So the, the Bible is, is began like? because the the biblical Jews were trying to come to terms with their defeat. Is that right?
0: Yeah. It's uh, the, the most fundamental reason that we have a Bible is to explain defeat, to make a a new um, notion of what it means to be a people. And that would not have been set in motion if it were not, the f- for the conquest of these two kingdoms. Um, many would say, here's why that is so controversial. Many would say, well, the Bible doesn't go back to Moses. Like I just said, you know, some of most scholars say they go back to these four sources or some unknown kind of things. But that it was written primarily during the time that these kingdoms existed, especially when they were the most powerful. That's when like the courts of David and Solomon, you know, the the they um, commissioned scribes to write great stories. And fundamentally, these texts are kind of the works of propaganda from the palace. And what I'm arguing is, no, these, uh, the biblical, the, the oldest biblical texts may go back to some, in some form to these ancient kingdoms, but they have been thoroughly reworked and reshaped to create what we know as the biblical text because those kingdoms no longer existed. They were defeated and conquered. And instead of the populations just kind of melding into the new empire, giving up their identity, they resisted and they formed a new kind of identity uh, centered around a text, around their God, their uh, a point of transcendent unity and various other kinds of things in the same kind of way that other peoples try to construct what we would call national identities.
1: Why has no one examined this until now? I would think the question of why the Bible began is a a pretty important one, and yet I really couldn't find any other book written on it.
0: Yeah, it's like, um, I think it's the problem is, once you start to, exp- to answer the question why, right? You're a journalist, and you can ask, and one of the things that you do, um, I've listened to your show quite a bit, is, my you know, sympathies. Go deeper and say to why. Why is this happening? You know, not just to report, what's, you know, the headlines of the news. This is what happened, when it happened, where it happened, and who did it. But then that larger question of why is a different kind of news uh, mode, right? That's where you have to sit back and let's talk about this. Let's get these different perspectives and to analyze things. And it's a tricky thing for one person to explain, well, why, does the, why do we have something rather than nothing? Um, and it's also a tricky thing when you're talking about scripture, you're talking about the, uh, a holy text that is so sacred to so many communities and people and faith and so forth. And then to come explain, oh, by the way, why we have that, it's just because of division and defeat, excuse me, division and defeat produced my text that I know this fell from heaven in the most glorious moment at Sinai, or this was written in times of no, it's not don't downplay the text by making it, you know, just a response to the defeat, a response to collective trauma, because then it just becomes so human. It be, it's not like it, you can't connect it to some kind of independent out in the middle of the wilderness kind of moment where truth is just revealed in, in, a, in a vacuum. It becomes truth is revealed in the depths of despair in a very dark time when people are coming together to think about a way forward and that is a very thoroughly human activity i'm not trying to rip god out of the picture Mm -hmm. but i'm trying to show that what produces our most sacred scriptures is a human engagement and collaboration from various various perspectives around a serious matter of we've lost everything we know and now how do we go forward? Let's put our heads together. And that's where if you will the revelation starts to take place. That's where the 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 deity starts to really come to be in the in the in the working and the musings and the collaborations of people around very important questions of their existence.
1: Why do you describe this as an alternative History of Scripture. What what is the standard that you're deviating from?
0: Yeah, it's it's that it's the idea that that, um, that that there's something in the Bible that is goes way back. The kind of core idea of monotheism. Most scholars would say it develops to its full blown for, form um late, but it goes back, and all of these things that we take for granted, like, um, you know, the Ten Commandments, maybe they're formed that we have them as late, but all of that is just embedded in some kind of ingenious, something about the Jewish people had this, or something was just in a certain kind of people who would think about God in a certain way. It all becomes very wish-washy. It becomes unhistorical. And you see historians and scholars who are otherwise really um, quite um, sober about how to explain historical evidence. They give up around that question because they need to preserve some kind of inexplainable part of it to make it mysterious. And what I'm doing, what what makes it so alternative is There's not a whole lot of mystery to it. The mystery is explaining how, um, these scribes came together in the night. I imagine doing it in the night. They were working for the palace in the mornings and throughout the day, but in the night they came together and they had a new project. They were starting to think about how we can bring a people together around our text around our laws around our stories around our narratives around our poetry and prophecies and love poetry like the song all of that was a, a, a innovative attempt um but it was it's very much a human collaborative effort and that takes um it's all, it becomes alternative because it doesn't allow for some kind of way in the in the murky shadows of time that there was always this kind of biblical idea that has this developed into the form mm-hmm. we have in the Bible, but it's always been there. And I'm saying, no, it really just emerges at a point in time. The Big Bang is when the empires of Assyrian Babylon destroy their kingdoms, and then they're faced with the question, what now?
1: Uh, you know, Dr. Wright, we're going to have to end it there. I very much appreciate the time, and uh, want to encourage people to pick up why the Bible began on alternative history of Scripture and its origins. Thank you.
0: Uh, I appreciate it.
1: Thank you. If you want to comment, you can certainly do so. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead.
0: The Other Side of Midnight
1: vitama to Pineroff cream one percent is a prescription topical treatment for adults with plaque psoriasis do not use if you're allergic to vitama cream the most common side effects red raised bumps around the hair pores pain or swelling in the nose and throat skin rash or irritation itching and redness peeling burning or stinging headache and flu tell your doctor about all the medicines you take and if you're pregnant or plan to be ask your doctor if vitama cream is right for you you deserve more from your topical. Go to Vitama. Dot com. That's V-T-A-M-A dot com.
0: Cybersecurity is back in the headlines. Numerous companies in Las Vegas casinos hijacked by a massive ransomware attack, and they've taken a huge financial hit. Your company could be next. If you're an executive who could feel the heat from a similar attack, tell your company's head of cybersecurity to visit Arisent.com. That's Arisent.com to schedule a call. Arisent provides proactive cybersecurity management and a zero-trust process that works. Visit Arisint Dot com. That's E-R-A-C-E-N-T.com.